Now tonight, beloved, I'm going to preach a sermon like the old preachers used to preach. And for some reason or other, the preachers have gotten away from this line of, of ministry. But I want to take our text, if you will, please, from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Flee fornication. Flee fornication. Fornication is one of the sins that the Bible so severely condemns. And in this immediate setting, it is described as the sin against the body. The sin against the body. In the Ten Commandments, which is the moral law, you have thou shalt not kill. Well, that protects your life and the life of your neighbor. Thou shalt not steal. That protects your property and the property of your neighbor. Thou shalt not bear false witness. That protects your good name and the good name of your neighbor. Thou shalt not commit adultery. That protects your body, your purity, and the good name of your, or the good body of your neighbor. Now, all of these commandments have been given to us by God to regulate our ways. God is the creator. God has made us. And he's the one who's placed the price upon life, placed the value upon property. Place the integrity upon your speech and place these demands of purity upon your body. Now as God has made us, male and female, he did it, he ordained it, it's a creation. And he has also ordained that the race shall reproduce itself from generation to generation. And he has provided for that continuation of life, each after his kind. This is the divine order as God himself has made it and given it to us. And in this area which protects the generation of the human race, the reproduction of the human species, God has placed some very special protections and warnings and guards. And God has ordained that one man and one woman shall live together in marriage or as man and wife. And that anything different from that is under his severe condemnation and judgment. And there are penalties which he has attached to it of the severest nature. And God has sought to protect the marriage bond and the bond for the propagation of the race in order that the race may be continued and in order that our relationships to each other here in our social life may be proper and may be in good order. Consequently, 
God has laid down these commandments so clearly and so emphatically in the Scripture. Flee fornication. Have nothing to do with fornication. And fornication is simply the relationships which man have with women outside of the marriage bond. Before marriage, it's fornication. And in the epistle to the Hebrews, the last chapter, we read in verse 4, marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers will God judge. And God has ordained marriage. He has sanctified it, and he has blessed it. And it is honorable in the sight of God, but it must be kept pure, and it must be kept within the bounds that God's word has set. Now these are the lines that are clearly defined. And for us as Christians there is no debate. For those of us who have come to know the Lord, there's no question about these things in any way, shape, or form. We accept them, we abide by them, we don't dispute them, and we know that it is a total disgrace for anyone to become involved in what is called fornication. Now adultery is the other word, but adultery is unfaithfulness after the marriage bond has been contracted. After the marriage bond has been contracted, adultery then is unfaithfulness of one party to that bond, and that unfaithfulness is a scriptural basis for the dissolution of marriage. Death dissolves marriage. That's the end of it when death comes. Adultery dissolves marriage. Unfaithfulness and this high price, this tremendous bulwark that protects the marriage bond is here in the Holy Scripture. And our forefathers so loved it and so delighted in it and recognized that in such an order there could be purity and there could be a responsible carrying on from generation to generation with the family and the children and the grandchildren and with the parental relationship of all of this that our forefathers wrote into the basic laws of our states protection of this matter of marriage. Unfortunately, the divorce laws are getting freer on every hand today, of course. But a Christian goes into marriage not with even the thought of divorce. He goes into marriage with a solemn vow that this will be my life until death do we part. Now, beloved, in the pagan world, in the Roman and Grecian world, sex perversion, sex uh, and lust, and all the filth that goes with it abounded in every order, just like it does in Russia tonight. No God, pagan religion, all these things pulling themselves down. And it was into the midst of a paganism where you had all the filth of fornication and all the filth of adultery and all of these things just as promiscuous and just as uh, uh, intermingled as you could possibly ask. It was into this area that the gospel came. 
And the apostle came preaching this message of salvation and deliverance from sin. And when they preached this message and the people got together and they had their little prayer groups and they worshiped the living and the true God, then the apostle turned and said, You people cannot be like the world about you. You cannot conform to this world with its lust and with its sex and with its adulteries and with its fornications. You must be transformed. You must be entirely different. Oh, he says, you Christians must have absolutely nothing to do with this sort of thing. Flee! Run away! Have nothing to do with fornication. That means that every young girl is to protect herself and her body. And she is to be, when she enters into the bonds of marriage, a clean, pure virgin. That's what the Bible requires. That's what Christianity demands. And that every young man, before he enters into this bond of marriage and takes to himself a wife whom he's to love and honor, is to also be clean and pure. And he's equally to be a virgin. And these demands were set upon the early Christian church and the Christians began to be different. The Christians began to have their marriages and to have their homes and to protect their unity and their character. And the whole world looked at what happened. Here were these people who would not in any way be led off with the enticements of lust and of the flesh, and they sought to serve their God. They sang his hymns. They told everybody about eternity. They were preaching the gospel wherever they went, and they had nothing to do with this kind of a world. And the people looked at these Christians and said, What in the world possesses them? Why do they live like that? Why do these things have no appeal to them? Why are their young people so different? Why are they people who sing and pray? Why do they think, think of heaven and these things? What happened to these people? The answer is that when Jesus Christ redeemed a believer, he not only redeemed their soul, but he redeemed their bodies. Their bodies. This temple in which we dwell, the Lord has touched. And the Lord, when he claimed our soul by his sacrifice, he claimed both body and soul together. And he is going to give the body the fullest of perfection in that glorious resurrection which he's promised to us in the day of his return. Now, beloved, in this great passage in Corinthians, which I read for you tonight, and will you please turn to it? The apostle is very specific. He says, you're not even going to get a look at the kingdom of God. It's not going to be possible for you to inherit the kingdom of God. 
It's not going to be possible for you to enter into what the gospel will do for sinners if you live and dwell in unrighteousness. And the first sin that's listed in this category is fornication. Fornication. If you're born again, you won't do it. If you claim you're born again and you do do it, there's something wrong with your being born again. Know ye not that the unrighteous fornicators, look at the list that he has here, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, or abusers of themselves with mankind. These are the homosexuals, that's what it is. We're being told today that homosexual is some sort of a disease and all that sort of thing. In this category, my friend, it is a sin. Neither thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Beloved, the old-fashioned preaching from the old-fashioned preachers got up and they preached against extortioners. And they told the people that anybody who engaged in extortion was going to perish and he couldn't inherit the kingdom of God. The old-fashioned preachers got up and they preached against thieves and robbers. And they preached against all manner of crookedness whereby men robbed their neighbors and took their properties from them. And the preacher stood and said to them, that if you're this kind of a person, your profession of salvation is vain and you'll never enter into the kingdom of God. Beloved, there are an awful lot of people who profess that they're Christians today and they're involved in this kind of iniquity and they're doing it day after day and it belies their confession of salvation. And they will never, never enter into the kingdom of heaven. They'll never say it. And that old-fashioned kind of preaching which the man of generations passed when we had revivals here in New Jersey a hundred years ago, they went out and they denounced fornication. And the only reason we had a University of Pennsylvania over here with a very excellent motto, learning without morality is in vain, the only reason that was put in the seal of the University of Pennsylvania as its motto is that the social order about us, the social climate that had been created, the moral standard which had been lifted up as a result of the preachers, as a result of those who held up the word of God, as a result of parents who taught their children what this Bible says in this very passage I'm giving to you. That standard was up and we built our education on it. Now that standard is down, and we think we can carry on our education without it. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. Oh, young college girls, don't you be deceived. Oh, young college boys, don't you be deceived. Neither fornicators nor adulterers shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now you turn down to verse 13 of this sixth chapter of 1 Corinthians. 
Now the body is not for fornication. God didn't make you, young lady. God didn't make you, young man, so that you could take the lusts of your body and go out and enjoy them, the lusts of the flesh. The body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. Now, the ungodly that don't know the Lord, they think the body is for fornication. And they think they're free to set their own standards. They think they're free to do what they want to. And that's exactly what these young people over at the University of Pennsylvania are thinking tonight. And here's the headline, Co-eds welcome overnight freedom at Penn. That was the headline in the paper this week. The co-eds, the girl says, we welcome this. My, oh my, what freedom we've got now. And we're going over and spend the nights with these boys anytime we get ready to do it. And then the local newspaper yesterday comes out with this lengthy story, Roommate Plans Gain in Favor. For the fall semester, as it begins at colleges all over the country, it is increasingly clear that co-education has become almost synonymous with cohabitation. It is impossible to estimate how many couples are living together. The number varies radically from campus to campus, and most administrations don't take the trouble to keep count. Many couples, many couples enjoy capers off campus. Let me read you some of that. A Minnesota sophomore forced by parental regulations to live in the dorm started sleeping out with not one but four male friends. After one quarter, her marks were so terrible that she was evicted from the dorm. Whereupon she blamed her poor grades on the supposedly noisy dorm life and convinced her parents to let her get an apartment. So here she was sinning. Here she's engaged in fornication with four male friends. Here she fails in her marks, she's thrown out of the dorm, and she lies to her parents, and our poor parents believe about our poor grades, and they let her get herself an apartment out in town. Here's a girl that her parents, my oh my, what these parents don't know. By and large, however, colleges have adopted a laissez-faire attitude toward cohabitation. Indeed, surveys show that most of those who choose to live in unmarried bliss are more mature and serious-minded than the average student. Then we come on over here to another one where they claim that they're even more honest. You always remain friends and feel genuinely warm towards someone you've been living with, says one co-ed. 
When you just date someone, there are concealments and incredible frictions, but when you live with someone, each of you is completely honest. What I dislike about this story in the Camden Courier is that it glamorizes, says those who are guilty of all this sin, as the Bible condemns it, are mature. So to be a good sinner today, you're mature. And what I don't like about it is that they tell you that if you're engaged in all this awful fornication, that you're completely honest. Completely honest. Now that's the way the world speaks about this thing. That's the way the world glamorizes it. And that is the thing that God condemns. I wonder if the Camden Courier will ever carry a story on the other side, giving the denunciation of this from the standpoint of the Scripture. I just wonder, just watch the next few weeks and see if anybody ever sends anything in that will give the other side of this thing. Have they given you the story of the statistics that came out last month and I saw them where the girls now are jumping out the windows, they're committing suicides and more girls are going with nervous breakdowns to the hospitals than ever before and the schools don't know what to do with them? The University of Pennsylvania is just following the trend. A great school, we've seen it hundreds and hundreds of times, right across the river. But now you look at the men's dormitories, and what are they? They're houses of sin, houses of iniquity. How any mother, how any father would want to send their daughter to a university of that kind, is more than I can understand. And we've got to bear witness now against the iniquity. This is what the disciples did. They talked about fornication freely and openly. And he writes about it. But the wonderful thing about this passage in Corinthians, if you'll turn back to it, is that the apostle turns and says, and such were some of you. Such were some of you. Paul knew their lives. <clears throat> Paul heard their confessions when they were saved. Paul understood the kind of iniquity they'd been living, and they had to be, an awful lot of them had to be, because that's the way most everybody was. And that's the way it's going to be in this city of ours before too long. Somebody told me a story this past week that over here in one of the suburbs, two of the teenagers didn't go to school. They played hooky from school. And here was a boy and a girl out on one of the front lawns over there in the neighborhood carrying on like a bunch of dogs. And the neighbors called up and said, what are we going to do with it? Somebody said, well, call the police. Right out in the public, right out in the open. Things like that never, never happened before in this country. And here it is right around our own community. Filth, open, open sin. Young people carrying on like a couple of dogs out on the front lawn in somebody's community. Now that's taking place here in our area. And we'll get more of it unless the people turn to God, unless the people be done with all these pleasures of sin, unless the people decide that if we're going to have decency in society, we've got to turn back to God and honor God in His law and His word and His name and be a part of testimonies that are pleasing to Him. That's exactly what's happening to us, and that's where we're going. But ladies and gentlemen, we have laws against indecency. We have laws against exposure. We have laws against...
against this sort of thing taking place on the front lawns or the backyards. We have laws on the statute books that are supposed to protect those who have homes and have marriages. And we have laws against fornication. We have laws against adultery. But what are laws anymore? Who cares for the laws anymore? You don't care for the word, you don't care for God. Civil disobedience becomes the new morality and moral disobedience. That's where we're going. Ladies and gentlemen, I say to you people tonight, you're going to have to take your young people out of these schools. You're going to have to keep them close to yourselves. You're going to have to bring them into Christian schools where the young girls will be taught some decency and where we'll be taught that these things are sins against the almighty God and our bodies are his temples and we must keep them holy and we must keep them clean and we must keep them pure. Now this text says, and such were some of you. And it's the most glorious, glorious truth of the Bible that no matter how guilty you may be and though your sins be like scarlet, and though you could even be called a scarlet woman, as the Bible speaks of these adulterers in generations past. Beloved, it makes no difference what that sin may be. The blood of Jesus Christ can blot it out. The blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse and pardon and give a new life and give a regeneration, which when you have it, you'll stop your drunkenness. And when you have it, you'll stop your fornication. And when you have it, you'll stop your lying. And when you have it, you'll stop your murdering. And such were some of you. My, oh my, to have a church filled with people who've been redeemed, and such were some of you. But ye, notice how he says here, but ye are sanctified. Oh, beloved, you've been, you've been cleansed. The Spirit of God has come upon you. And these things that have come upon you now, because of the power of God, are here for your, for your edification and for your cleanliness and for your uh, blessed testimony in behalf of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. And such were some of you. But ye are justified, that's verse 11, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Having been justified by faith, we come into this newness of life and we come to the place where we then say to the living God, O Lord God of heaven and earth, here's my life, take it. Here's my body. Help me keep it clean. And that's why in our own confession of faith, the Westminster Confession, you have this larger catechism. And in this section dealing with the commandments, you have the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. And may I read you now, what are the sins forbidden? The sins forbidden are adultery. Once you are married, once you have bound yourself by a solemn oath under God, 
If you violate that trust, if you violate what God has committed to you, you are guilty of an aggravated sin in the sight of God. Fornication, rape, incest, sodomy, and all unnatural lust, all unclean imaginations, thoughts, purposes, and affections, all corrupt or filthy communications, a little suggestion, or listening thereunto. Folks, don't listen to dirty jokes. It makes no difference who it is that tells you the dirty joke. Stop your ears. Don't listen to it. Let them know that you don't want to live in that kind of filth. But your mind and your heart is going to be occupied in nobler and purer things than this. And this is why, beloved, it's so essential that you parents guard your homes from all these filthy magazines that they're putting out. That even the decent magazines have become filthy. Corrupt or filthy communications. Immodest apparel. Immodest apparel. Dispensing with unlawful marriages. Actually, what part of these things over here are, they just go and live together for two or three months, they become what you'd call a common law marriage, and then they just walk off. Oh, who's the loser? Well, they're all losers. But society's the loser. Children are the losers. The whole fabric of our family relationship and our family image is the loser. It's all going down. Allowing, tolerating, keeping of stews, S-T-E-W-S. That's a word you don't hear very much anymore. And I would say that after a girl like this girl here, what, what in the world did they say about her? Listen to this one. During one whole school year, a co-ed at California spent just nine nights in a room. The rest of the time she was sleeping in her boyfriend's dormitory room and I had to whisper all the time, she said. And then here's another one down here. They'd come pretty close to being what the Bible calls stews. Now, what are the duties required in the seventh commandment? They are chastity in body, mind, affections, words, and behavior. What is more beautiful than a lovely, clean young lady? What is more lovely? Her mind, her affections, her words, her behavior. What is more glorious in the sight of God than a beautiful young lady? Prepared by God, redeemed by his blood. The preservation of it in ourselves and others. Watchfulness over the eyes and all the senses temperance, keeping chaste company, modesty in apparel. That's our catechism, the larger one. That's the one that the United Presbyterians have disposed of. 
The larger catechism's gone. We don't spell out these things anymore. All right, turn down now to this 18th verse. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is against the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. Take that body of yours, dwell in it in all honor, live in it according to the commandments of God, and let God then provide and let God lead and let God undertake. This breakdown here in the state of Pennsylvania is going to affect all our schools, going to carry over into our high schools more and more. We're going to have more young people. They just scoff at God. They make fun of the Bible. They're not interested in these things. And they're involved in becoming just nothing more than old-fashioned pagans. Old-fashioned pagans. And the same gospel that gave us what we now have in our homes and our laws and was the foundation of all this is going to have to come back to give it back to us again, or if it doesn't, we'll never get it because there's no other place to get it. When I think of our little Christian high school with 20 pupils, and I think of our Shelton College now with somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 students, how little we are. Who are we? What do we have? Well, bless your heart, we've got the Bible. We've got the truth. We have the gospel. We have that which has made us what we are by the grace of God and given us love of the truth and a desire to honor the things that God has given to us. And when we turn over and over again, oh, the Old Testament's full of it, Job is full of it, the Proverbs are full of it, the Psalms are full of it, the whole Bible's full. Everywhere you turn in the Bible, we're to be chaste, we're to be clean, we're to live honorable, pure lives before God. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers will God judge. All right, it's not easy to point out the sinners. Because in this sort of a thing, only God and the individual knows the sin. Consequently, when you preach about it, the sinner has his own heart, his own conscience, his own conviction. And at that point, you have to warn that sinner that God has condemned his deed and that he will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Lady, you'll never get to heaven. Young man, you'll never get to heaven. There's no possible way that you can ever get to heaven when you're engaged in fornication and adultery. Just impossible. God says it. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And if you're guilty of this sin, my friend, I can tell you right this very minute on the authority of everything that the Bible teaches that when you die, you are going to perish and go to hell. That's what the apostle taught. That's the way they preached it in the first generation. 
And young lady, if you're guilty of this sin before God, you've got to repent of it. There's no other way out for you but repentance. And asking God to forgive you. You sin against your body. You sinned against the Lord. You sinned against God. And if you're guilty of this sin tonight, listen to this preacher. I'm telling you, you'll never get through the door of heaven. You'll never get through the door of death into the presence of God. It's impossible to die. As long as the stain of this sin is upon you, upon your soul, upon your hands. Oh, the guilt that's involved before God. He's a righteous God. He's given us his law. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You go and commit that adultery, my friend. You do it. Deliberately, you take part in that kind of offense against God. And you're lost. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You've got to repent. And you've got to be reconciled to God. You've got to find mercy. Oh, such were some of you. But you've been cleansed, you've been cleaned up, you've been justified, you've been sanctified by the Spirit of God. And only the gospel, the only remedy for this sin is the blood of Christ. The only hope for your soul is to listen to the gospel preacher as he offers you salvation and deliverance. That's all there is. And when you find anybody that's engaged in this sort of iniquity, and you know that they're guilty of this sort of sin, my friend, you talk straight to them. Quote them the Bible. Quote them what the Bible says about all these things. And oh, in that first chapter of Romans, there at the close of that first chapter of Romans, where the Apostle Paul is speaking about this ungodly world, he turns and he says, God gave them over to vile affections. God gave them over to vile affections. They did not want to retain God in their knowledge. And they were filled with all unrighteousness. And the first sin that's mentioned in that 29th verse is fornication. Isn't it nice that the dean over at the university says that they're old enough now to not be given any guidelines? Students ought to be free to develop their own sense of values, said Dean Alice Emerson. Well, students ought to be told that there's a living God and that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's what Shelton College believes. And you see, the fear of God keeps you clean and then you can have some knowledge. The fear of God keeps you obedient and then your education means something to you. Now, I don't know who's listening to this broadcast tonight. I hope some have. I even hope the dean of the university has listened to it. I wonder kind of what kind of religion she's got. I wonder where she came from. 
I wondered, did she make any protest? Did she make any suggestions? Is society not going to maintain any standards of morality anymore? Is society not going to enforce its laws anymore? We're just going to let them down, let them down, let them down, take them off the books and just ignore them? Where are we coming out? You and I are living in a period in the Christian history when things are going to pieces, things are shaking, things are crumbling around us. And here we stand as the preacher, here we stand with the word, here we stand with the law, here we stand with the gospel that has blessed us and given us what we have. Oh, you preachers that are in these apostate churches, God have mercy on you. Please, brethren, get out and go to preaching. Oh, you people that are mixed up in all this education, this liberal education, this John Dewey philosophy that just turns everybody free, no standards anymore, right or wrong. Oh, let's come back to the law of the living God and ask God to be merciful to us and let him save souls and turn some of these young people away from the consequences of their sin that they might have the gift of life and life everlasting through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm not talking about Chicago. I'm talking about Philadelphia. I'm talking about Cherry Hill. I'm talking about Collingswood. I'm talking about it. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we thank thee that thou hast made sin so definite and so clear to us all. And we know that the world about us revels in sin, the lusts of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. But we, O oh God, have become the temples of our God. Our bodies are his tabernacles. And we long to keep them that way. And O oh Father, tonight we just ask that thou wilt bring conviction of sin to those everywhere who have been involved in this kind of iniquity. And these young people at the university now and in these colleges that have no standards, Lord, wilt thou bring preachers, wilt thou bring messengers, wilt thou bring the gospel to the hearing of their ears, that they may realize that there is a place where they can find forgiveness and that repentance and faith thou wilt provide, and they may find the treasures of life eternal. For Christ's sake we ask it, amen. You know, beloved, a, a sermon like this isn't easy to preach. I don't mind preaching it. But this is the kind of a sermon you ought to be preaching out on a street corner. It's all right to preach it in the pulpit. It's all right. You need to hear it. It's all in the Bible. But we ought to go down on the street corner. We ought to go up to the university plaza and preach. I wonder what would happen if I went over to the university and stood out in front of the library and got preaching against fornication. Would I get some eggs or what would I get? What in the world would I get? I suppose I went over there to university. I ought to go over there on Spruce Street, you know, up at the angle there where the hospital is. I wonder what would happen if I went over there some afternoon. Got me a big sort of a loudspeaker or horn of some sort and began to speak out against it. What in the world would they do to me? But that's what we ought to do. Somebody ought to do it. We need to go out there where these sinners are. That doesn't mean an art here, too. That doesn't mean that... We don't need it here, but I mean a sermon of this type. The evangelist went out, Paul went out, but yet Paul was writing here to the Christians in Corinth telling them these things. But he says, you people have been cleaned up. Once you've been saved, you've been cleaned up. 
you've been straightened out. But a sermon like this is the kind of thing that we ought to be able to take out there to the street corners and on the street and preach against it. All right, let's sing our closing service tonight, our closing song. It's hymn number 338. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. 438.